Our scripture reading today will be from Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Ambition and drive have their place. Competition can be healthy and motivating. Our body is a temple, which should be cared for. But what might we be skipping if fitness becomes an obsession? Awards and trophies we strive for will someday end up dusty in a forgotten box. New cars eventually become old cars. The latest gadgets will be tomorrow's old gadgets, probably with broken screens. Putting away money for retirement or a rainy day is certainly wise, but if our entire focus is on acquisition and accumulation, where have we left room for God? Jesus said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? In the end, your life will be defined by the decisions you made. There is only one path truly worth taking, only one pursuit that will really last, only one promise that will never be broken. Choosing to live apart from Jesus has a distinct and definitive cost. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Choosing to live apart from Jesus has a distinct and definitive cost. Today, I just want to ask you, in a most sincere way, from a place of care and concern, to look at your life, for all of us to look at our lives, to see the decisions that define our lives, to look at what we're pursuing in life, to see the goal of our lives and how we're living our lives, what we value, what we think is most important. I just want to ask you to take a look at your life today. We are in a series we're calling Open Arms, and this series of messages is meant to engage people that we care about, maybe even you, people we care about who have, for whatever reason, walked away or drifted away or maybe run away or maybe feel like they've been pushed away from God in the church. And what we want to ask you to do is simply to reconsider your perspective on God and the church and reconsider your place with God in the church. Well, there are a lot of challenges by uh, being at home so much during this quarantine. You may not be surprised to know that online shopping has drastically increased. Compared to this time last year, in our country, online shopping has increased by 30%. And you might be interested to know that one of the top selling items online is a bread maker. Sales of bread makers has, have increased by 650% during this time of quarantine. I guess nothing says sheltering at home like a big loaf of sourdough bread. You know, as you can imagine, one of the problems of buying things online is that you don't necessarily get to see it with your own eyes. You don't get to touch it. You don't get to try it on. You don't get to see exactly what color it is. And so, so often when we buy something online, if it doesn't have a return policy or a guarantee, we're just stuck with it. And if we don't like it, if we're disappointed, we're left that way, disappointed with something that doesn't work, with something that doesn't meet our expectations. 
The truth is, we like guarantees. We like the assurance they provide. Guarantees are like safety nets protecting us from disappointment. I can remember several years ago when our son was young, we went to Walmart to get him some goldfish. We decided to get him some goldfish, and so we took him to Walmart. We bought a couple of goldfish. We bought the glass bowl. We bought the little gravel to go on the bottom, and I think we bought a, a treasure chest or a sunken ship or something to put in the bottom of the bowl, you know, to make the fish feel more at home, I guess. And so as we're checking out, I remember talking to the guy there, and I said, you know, how do you care for these fish, and what, what do I need? And, and he told me, he said, but don't worry. You have a guarantee. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if those fish die, just bring them back and we'll replace them. I was shocked. I was just imagining myself walking through the doors of Walmart holding two flimsy dead fish with the lady there greeting me, putting a little yellow happy face sticker on those fish and directing me to customer service for my exchange. I didn't know how it was going to work, but I was glad to have a guarantee. We like guarantees. We like the assurance that guarantees provide. Guarantees help us justify the cost. That's true with purchases we make, but is it true in life? Is it true in the things that we pursue in life? We will acquire and accumulate and achieve things in this life that we think will provide meaning and fulfillment and purpose and happiness. But we do so with no guarantee of getting those things, or if we do, realizing that they are temporary, that they don't last. Here's what I've learned about life. Everything comes with a price tag, but not everything comes with a guarantee. Isn't that true? And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about the things in life that we pursue. You want to be successful at work? It's going to cost you something. You want to be the best you can be in your trade or your skill, it's going to cost you something. You want to be happy, you want to be secure, you want to be comfortable, it will demand something of you. And my question is, will all of those things that we go after, all of those things we pursue, and everything else that the world throws at us and that the world values, will they provide what we need most? And will they last? So how are you living your life? What are you pursuing? What is the end goal of your life? Is it happiness? Is it success, however you choose to define that? Is it security or comfort? Is it possessions? Is it just raising these kids so that they will be happy and successful? Or maybe right now during quarantine, your end goal is just to get through it with your sanity intact. I understand. But as you think about your life, what is out there? What are you striving for? What is that ultimate goal, that end goal? John Ortberg says this, life, like a game, is moving toward a goal. It has an object. It is not just a series of random activities. There are rules to follow in life, and each of us will develop a strategy, but the game will not go on forever. How are you choosing to play the game we call life? What is your strategy? Is your strategy working? What is the end goal? What defines a win in life for you? And when it's all over and everything goes back into the box, will it be worth it? Will it have been worth it? When Jesus was on earth, he traveled around teaching and doing miracles, 
to reveal the true nature of the kingdom of God to anyone who would listen, to anyone who would open their eyes and see. And so much of what Jesus taught and so much of how he lived, it rubbed up against human expectations and cultural norms. And because of that, there was great friction. And as he revealed God's kingdom, it became very clear that the things that God values, the values of his kingdom, clash with the things the world values, worldly values, and things that the world thinks are important. And even today, we see that. We see that tension. We feel that tension in life. We feel that tension even deep within our souls sometimes. Jesus knew that he was sent here to die a death, a sacrificial death, to save us from our sins. And so in Matthew 16, we see his focus shift to that destiny at the cross. He asked his followers what their perception of him was, what people were saying about him, who people said he was. And it wasn't so much that Jesus cared about what they thought. It was more that he cared that his followers know exactly who he was, that they have a true understanding of his identity as the Son of God. And so after some speculation, Peter speaks up with this beautiful confession of faith. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus validates Peter's beautiful confession. And then Jesus makes this deliberate shift to what's going to happen at Jerusalem, what's going to happen at the cross. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Well, Peter, who was one of Jesus' followers, who often opened his mouth before he engaged his brain, spoke up, and he resisted Jesus. He said, no way, Jesus. There's no way this is going to happen to you. You don't need to die. You won't die. You see, Peter had a different agenda. He was playing by a different set of rules. His end goal was different than Jesus' goal. And when he challenged Jesus' plan to die, I think he gave voice to probably everyone who was there listening to Jesus. And he gave voice to probably what most of us would be thinking if we were there too. How can you die, Jesus? Our hopes and dreams are on you. You see, nothing in their mindset or collective memory prepared them for a suffering Messiah. Their long-awaited Messiah was supposed to storm into Jerusalem and take over the Roman government and capture the throne for God's people. He wasn't supposed to die at the hands of his oppressors. He was supposed to conquer them. Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, that a crucified Messiah would be foolishness to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to many of the Jews. A crucified Jesus did not align with human thinking. And for many today, he still does not. He's either a waste of time foolishness or he's a stumbling block, just something in the way of their agenda, of the way they want to live life. Two different paths two different pursuits, two different destinies. I want you to notice how Jesus responds to Peter back in our text, Matthew 16, verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, 
You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Strong words from Jesus for Peter. He says, get behind me. Is Jesus saying, get out of my way? Or is he saying, Peter, you need to fall in line behind me and follow me? Was it about discipleship? I think it was both. I think Jesus was saying, get out of my way because you aren't thinking like God is thinking. You are trying to go against the plan of God. In fact, he says, you are a stumbling block. The same word that Paul would use later in that passage we just talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that a crucified Messiah, the cross of Christ, is a stumbling block to some people. And Jesus says to Peter, don't get in the way. Don't get in my way. And in fact, get out of your own way because you are thinking like the world thinks. You are using instincts and intuition and human logic. And that's not what God is using. In fact, that's what he says in the text. He talks about the concerns of God versus the concerns of people or humans. Depending on your translation, it may say something a little differently. It may say, thinking of God versus thinking of people. It may say the thoughts of God or the things of God versus the things of man. The things God thinks are important versus the things people think are important. I think much of the struggle of life, much of the tension we see in our world and sometimes feel inside us is because things God thinks are important aren't always the things we think are important and vice versa. Jesus is talking to Peter, but I think his statement is universal. There are two ways to live, two main strategies for this game called life. And we get to choose. We can go our own way, take our chances, try to soak up everything the world offers us with no guarantee that it will provide what we're looking for, or we can align ourselves with the values of the kingdom of God. And we can submit to the reign and the rule of King Jesus and rest in the assurance of the promises of God. In a book by Mary Jo Neitz, she writes about spiritual transformative experiences. And she quotes a man named Kenneth, Kenneth Clark, who was one of Britain's most prominent art historians and writers and television producers. And one day, Clark stepped into a beautiful cathedral in France, and he said he had this experience he had never had before, this transformative spiritual experience. And he said it wasn't because of the, the splendor of the picturesque cathedral. It was something else. He said for a few moments, his whole being radiated with some kind of joy from heaven. And as he stood there in that moment, trying to understand what was happening to him, he said, it was so wonderful, but it also became an awkward situation. Because in that moment, he knew, if this is real, I've got to change. I have to reform my life. He said, what will my family think of me? They'll think I'm crazy. And maybe this was just a delusion. He said, eventually, the effect wore off. And he made no changes. But I want you to look at how he described this process, his thinking in this situation. He said, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. 
Satan would have you believe that it's not worth it, that you're too far gone, that you are too deeply embedded in the world to change course. I'm here to tell you that it's not too late. It's never too late, and it's always worth it. Jesus continues to highlight the contrast between these two choices in our text, Matthew 16. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus calls attention to the unorthodox, un upside-down nature of God's kingdom. Just like his announcement of his impending death went against people's expectations, so does his description of what it means to follow him, his description of discipleship. Jesus said true discipleship is found in self-denial. Preserving one's life is really found in losing it. Fulfillment is not found in gaining everything you can in this world, but rather gaining eternal life for your soul. You see, the choice to follow Jesus will absolutely cost you something. Jesus is very clear about that. And I think that's the rub. That's where the tension is. Because we want to know, if I'm all in, if I'm denying self, if I'm taking up my cross, is it worth it? Jesus says, I'm not going to storm into Jerusalem with a makeshift military and try to overthrow the Roman government and take the throne. No. God's kingdom revealed in Jesus would not be about a military war, but a spiritual war. His reign would not be inspired by violence and worldly values, but by a bigger vision from God. Not by strength, but by suffering. That's the nature of God's kingdom, and it clashes with everything we think we know about life. It clashes with human instincts and worldly values. But that's the nature of discipleship. That's the nature of following Jesus. In full disclosure, Jesus says that to be a follower of his, it's about self-denial and sacrifice and submission. It will cost you something. You say, well, who wants to lose his life? Who wants to lose her life? That's contrary to everything we know and to in, in every way that we've been socialized. We don't look to lose our lives. We look to preserve them. That's why we buy so many services and products and, and work out and take vitamins and take medicine and go to the doctor. We want to live longer and we want to be younger. We want to preserve our lives. And Jesus says to lose our lives. You see, Jesus didn't just say that. That's how he lived. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, who had everything, emptied himself. That's what Jesus did, emptied himself. That goes against the world. The world says, enhance and extend your life. Don't empty it. In fact, fill your life up with everything you can find that you think will make you happy, that will bring pleasure and enjoyment and comfort and security. You just keep filling your life up. And even if it doesn't last, because we know the things of the world don't last, just keep filling yourself up. And Jesus says, and Jesus did, 
empty himself. You see, the world values self-indulgence. The kingdom of God values self-sacrifice. The world values fame and fortune, while the kingdom of God values giving and serving. The world values impressing others. God's kingdom values loving others. The world values pleasure and happiness. The kingdom values peace and joy. The world values so many things that will not last. But in the kingdom of God, the things that are treasured are those things that will last throughout eternity. And then in our text, Jesus brings the bottom line. He tells us where all of this tension, where all of these choices land. And he puts it in the form of an equation which makes sense because so much of our lives are lived through the filter of a cost-benefit analysis. We often ask ourselves this question, is blank worth it? If I do this, if I choose this, if I buy this, if I go there, if I start this relationship, if I don't end this relationship, is it worth it? And Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? That's the question we need to wrestle with today. Am I living a life that forfeits my soul? Am I living in such a way that will cost me what is most important? Think about it. What if you actually were able to gain everything the world offers, everything you want, all the happiness, all the fame, the fortune, the status, whatever it is, the achievements? What if you were able to get all of those things? But you got them at the cost of living the life God created you to live now and for eternity. Those things may sound appealing, but in light of eternity, they are like that. They will not last. It can be so hard for us to honestly look at our lives in light of what Jesus says here in this statement. Nobody wants to admit to valuing the wrong things or choosing the wrong path. It's easier just to justify how we live or just to ignore Jesus' words. You see, it becomes a stumbling block or it becomes foolishness. We get so embedded in the world. N.T. Wright said, cling on to your life and you'll lose it. Give everything you've got to following Jesus, including your life, and you will win it. It's natural to cling. It's natural to be embedded in this world. But when we live according to what seems natural, we will end up losing what is most important, life. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 2, we looked at earlier, where Christ emptied himself. And then in chapter 3, Paul talks about his own life, and he lists a lot of his credentials and accomplishments. And after listing all of these things that everybody else during Paul's time would covet, would be probably jealous of, Paul says, here's what I think about those things. They are garbage. They are rubbish. That's the word he uses. They are nothing compared to knowing Christ. By the way, that passage and several other passages are included in the Bible study and discussion guide that comes with this sermon. I would encourage you to spend some time maybe with other people sitting down and walking through those passages together. So as we wrap up, let me just ask you, at what cost are you choosing to live your life? Everything in life has a price tag, but not everything in life comes with a guarantee. 
And Jesus guarantees abundant life and eternal life to all of those who would put their faith in him. It's the life that you were created to live. So choose to live for Christ. Maybe you're thinking, well, I just, I just don't know. What if it's not real? What if it's not true? I understand. But let me just respond to you with this question. What if it is? If we can encourage you or pray for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. If there's something that we can help do to bring you along spiritually, we would be happy to do that. You can go to our website, edmundchurchofchrist.com, and fill out a prayer request form there on that page. And you can either submit it privately where it won't be posted there, or if you are okay with other people seeing it, you can post it there in a public way, and other people can read that and pray for you. We certainly want to lift you up in prayer. May God bless you and keep you this week, and may you choose, and may I choose, to live for Christ.